Hi, Mom. How's it going? Hi, David. Good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, so we're in Indonesia now, and we were just getting started about how neither of us are quite liking it at this point. We're 12 chapters in, a third of the way through. Right. What were you, what were you just about to say? Because, um, yeah, let's hear it. Well, I was just going to say that when I read it the first time, Indonesia was my least favorite. And I thought maybe it was because of where I was in my life at that point. That's almost 20 years ago. And while I'm finding a little bit that I like about Indonesia, I find the, uh, the what, what does she call him? The witch doctor or whatever she calls him. Man. The medicine healer. The medicine healer. I find him quite entertaining and his wife quite entertaining. Yeah. Um, just because I love to see how different cultures interact and work together. Yeah. And are. Um, I'm still finding it to be a lot of fluff. Yeah. And well, and so, like, so we're like, you know, I think with a lot of the sections, the first third was kind of preamble, but the other two were like preamble about her and her life. Whereas this was just a lot of information about Indonesia and like Indonesian culture and history. Well, and, like, and I, I just I, don't care personally. Well, and I felt like I was reading a travel log and I've never really enjoyed reading right. travel logs. It's never been my go-to. So sort of being forced to read a travel log because first of all, we're doing the book, the book club together, but also yeah. I probably another way that I looked at even back then is being forced to read a travel log to hopefully get to something that's going to be more meaty mm. is it's yeah, it's a way to me. It's a lot of what's written didn't need didn't really need to be in the book yeah i'm still i'm still <clears throat> hopeful for the second the the rest of this section because i do remember the last time ever that i read it which was now maybe two years ago or a year and a half ago i did remember liking indonesia more than previously but i really don't know because basically from my notes it starts on chapter 73 and it's only chapter 79 that we even kind of get to her actual experience. So there's like six chapters of just kind of information about Indonesia and like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I I would, still, oh, yeah. sorry. I was just going to say like, I did get some notes from chapter 76 and 77. Yeah. So I want to walk through still uh, like briefly walk through to that point. So, okay. Cause we left off in India, right. And she was in a really good place it seemed. And now she's going to Indonesia and she says, She's never had less of a plan in her life than she does when she gets to right. Bali. And so that's just like interesting that she seems like, okay, like she's, she's done these other two massive like endeavors, massive experiments with herself. And now she's here to not really have any clue what she's doing. And then like one thing I noticed is, is it does seem like it's a very casual tone here. Like the way she's writing, it's just like, it, it came across as a slightly different tone to tone to me. Yeah. But then we just kind of get told, okay, Bali's not as hard as she thought. There's four, everyone in Bali has the same four names. She, <laughs> I found that quite interesting, actually. Yeah, like I definitely, like the, the Bali culture is, interesting, <coughs> I think, bizarre. Um, and it's it it presents an interesting contrast because right away she kind of sees that maybe her kind of balance isn't the same kind as the Balinese kind of balance because they're so meticulous, right? Like they want to know everything. They want to know where everything is. Um, and where everybody's been and what everybody's done and what everybody has eaten for dinner, like every detail of every single thing of their interaction with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, I don't really have many notes until chapter 75 is when she finally goes to actually meet the medicine man. So she settles in, she makes a friend, and then she goes to meet the medicine man. I had one note that, uh, I don't know if it was me or for her, is am I bored yet? I don't know if I was asking if I'm more bored of Indonesia yet, <coughs> or if she, I think maybe she mentioned like, like doing, having no plan and just doing anything you want for four months could get boring to some people. Well, but you know, sorry, I was just going to say, I mean, she's, she's really realizing that by having no plan, she's really had to let go total control of total go of total control. 
and up until now, everything has always been about how she wants to control her life, right? So- But there's something she, to be said when you let go of total control. That's also sort of when you get total freedom, right? It's like, exactly. I really get to do, and that's what we see her doing now is she really gets to do whatever she wants every day, which again, it's, it's freeing. And it's also sort of, it can be debilitating. Like I've struggled with that yes. as well. Like, and what do I do? There's a lot of time in the day when I literally am in total control of all of it. Right. Right. And this is, you know, what we're, what we're experiencing now, we're not myself, but a lot of people are experiencing now with the pandemic, right? Because mm -hmm. they, everything that was their life has shut down. And so in essence, everything that she believed for herself has shut down. And she's right. now on, on the part of her journey where she's trying to discover who she wants to be going forward, right? Yeah, and, and so we get to this point where she, she goes to see, I don't know how to pronounce it, but let's say K-Tut Liar. Right. Uh, and um, it's interesting because at first he doesn't remember her and she's kind of devastated. And she says like, it's a good experience of like remembering what happens when your expectations aren't met. Aren't yes. met. Cause she had these, uh, this idea of this grand reunion and stuff. And she was like really needing to, for a small amount of time, accept like, okay, it's not going like that. But then <laughs> his something switches in his mind and it does become that. And she says the relief is so big. Um, and it's, it's interesting, um, you know, I wonder why it was so big, why, again, like she held oh, on to this so dearly. I think part of that has to do with the whole thing about expectation, right? Because we, we, we grow up with expectation. There's expectation put on us. There's expectations that we create. And <clears throat> when we realize that those expectations aren't going to be fulfilled, that's when we have disappointment, mm. right? So I, I, one of my learnings throughout my journey has been have no expectations and you'll never be at disappointed. And so I really work to remind myself that. And we're, as humans, we tend to have expectations sometimes, but it's how we can manage them. So for her, she's gone through her whole life with those expectations, right? And suddenly she's put in this place where she went with her expectations because she's been pretty lucky. Everything she's ever expected for the most part has worked out for her until she's realized she doesn't want it anymore. Mm. And so she's gone to Indonesia with this expectation of what Indonesia is gonna represent for her and what this meeting with the medicine man is going to represent for her. And so there's that disappointment that comes when your expectations aren't met. I think it's that simple. Right. And I, I, I don't necessarily <clears throat> agree that we should have no expectations because although it, it's, it's almost, it does sound like Buddhist and enlightened to say it's good to have no expectations in this way and you're never disappointed. I also think, do you remember the movie Dodgeball with Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller? Yes. So he also, Vince Vaughn is like the lowly character who says, well, if I don't have any expectations then I'm never disappointed. And he just like, doesn't do anything with his life. Right, right? And, and that, so, but that's why I said that you have to learn how to manage your expectations. Yeah, and I think it's important to have expectations for yourself and then how you have expectations for others and for right. the world around you needs to right. be very much uh, metered, exactly. let's say. Yes. Um, and it's really interesting that he says the reason he didn't recognize her is because he lo she looks so happy now. Yes. And so like she looks like a different person to him from two years ago when she was in the midst of her divorce to now. And like that's such a powerful thing for this old old man to recognize or to like almost not even recognize her because of like I'm assuming she looks fuller. She looks happier. And so that's like a really nice um a really nice moment, I think, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and we're we're revisited. She she talks about the the image he drew her, which you know we talked about when it was reflected on in an earlier section. The four legs grounded to the earth, the missing head, uh, looking at the looking at the world through the heart. Um, and so, like that's kind of their connection. Is okay. I love how, that. How do you stay grounded to the earth and look at the world through the heart, um, which is is you know quite a complex thing to to break apart. But I do really enjoy the imagery of it. Um, and 
And yeah, so then we're here in chapter 75 and uh, it's just kind of them getting to know each other and saying, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do this thing. We're gonna hang out together for the next few months. And it sort of lays her base. And this is kind of like her first pillar of her time in Indonesia. Okay, she has one thing she's going to be doing. Um, she and she she believes that she's going to be teaching him English, which is yeah. important because, again, you have expectations and they don't always play out the way that you think they right. will, right? Yeah. Um, and you had notes. You had notes for uh, seventy six. Seventy six. What did so, you want to talk about in there? So I liked her relationship she was building with Mario. Yeah. Uh, Mario's the guy. Uh, the her she calls him her Italian Indonesian friend. Um, yeah. The reason his name is Mario is because everybody him. in Indonesia has the same name. So they give right. themselves nicknames. Right. And so his nickname, he picked Mario because he loves everything Italian. And that's mm -hmm. almost like she's gone full circle when you think about it, because she left Italy. She went to Italy first. She left Italy, went to India, and now she's back in Indonesia but the first person she becomes friends with is named Mario and loves everything Italian. Right. So, um, but he did speak about something that I, I wrote, I, I quoted, I took the quote here. He told her that he is only happy when he can maintain himself mentally and spiritually at the intersection between a vertical line and a horizontal one in a state of perfect balance. So when we think about that, right, that place right in the middle, for this, he needs to know exactly where he is located at every moment, both in his relationship to the divine and to his family here on earth. If he loses that balance, he loses that power. And I think that this is important because I think that so many of us are always searching and we forget what we have here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know when I went on my own journey and I went to that place that was, I'll call it the divine, you know, linking it to what the book calls it. I don't always call it the divine. It changes depending on where I am and, and what I'm feeling. But, you know, I went to that place of the divine and I did. I lost sight of the earthly. Mm -hmm. And family is our first link to the earthly, right? And so I loved the way they, that she spoke about that intersection, finding the balance between, you know, you know, if you think about the horizontal as the earthly and the vertical as the divine right? Because the earthly goes across and the divine goes up. When, and another point of, I didn't catch that, but another point of what you quoted really stands out to me is that like needing to know exactly where you stand in relation right. to those things. Right. That's a really important point because, you know, I would say the relate, like where you stand with the divine is akin to where you stand with yourself. How exactly. do you deeply feel and honestly feel about yourself? But again, there's this notion in objectivism of like happiness is a state of non-contradictory joy. But what that means is I need to be sort of aware of my mind knows when there's something off. If I'm in a slight argument with my dad or my sister or, or you know, I'm, I'm frustrated about this thing I didn't deal with. And so to really have actual balance, you need to know and it doesn't have to be solved, quote unquote, but you need to know and be honest of exactly the relationship you currently have with everyone in your life right? and, and be comfortable with it. And I remember a few moments in time where it's like, I was so uncertain about a certain relationship, one or another, and it really just kind of like kicks your whole mind off kilter. And so that's a really interesting, um, you know, <clears throat> well, it makes me think about the awareness, right? The awareness that we have of self. And when we have that awareness of self, then we can go on the vertical and on the horizontal in a much more even way, in the balanced way, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you always speak about the divine as the connection to ourself and who we ultimately are. And I believe that's true as well. Because if we don't have that within ourselves, we can never have it with other people around us, with whatever you want to call what's not part of the earthly net, earthly being, being. Sure. Right? So in this chapter, they explore, okay, Balinese are like, they say they're all descendants from kings, priests, and artists. They have clans. 
and it's, there's all of this stuff about the Bali culture and the religious ceremonies and stuff. And it goes into, in page 227, 228, it talks about the Balinese version of balance, how they need to know all of this information. Right. And it seems a bit much, right? Like it well, seems it like says, I wouldn't want to be a part of this culture personally. It says um, they're the global masters of balance, the people for whom the maintenance of perfect equilibrium is an art, a science, and a religion. That's intense. Yeah, and it's something to be said <laughs> of like being too balanced too much of the time, right? Right. This idea of real balance is a mix of order and chaos, but like a balanced mix of order and chaos, not being exactly precisely balanced all of the time. That's right. like not not particularly enjoyable life. It's more like an ebb and flow and, and this sort of thing. Well, and it makes it difficult because they talk about Bali as part of Indonesia, but it's an island in Indonesia. And that whole Balinese culture is so much different than most of the other Indonesian cultures. Mm -hmm. So they can't even cross to the mainland and, and have, the, it's almost like there's no um, synchronicity with anything outside of Bali, mm. if that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I had a note here, and I don't remember what exactly I wanted to highlight, but just about the Balinese culture, I wanted to highlight my sort of skepticism, like it seems like it's about magical paintings and healers and demons, like it seems very much kind of out there. And so it'll be interesting to see how, um, how Elizabeth relates to that more explicitly, but definitely it seems uh, a bit more out there than her like view of, of spirituality and the journey she's gone on so far. Um, mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes through. But she does talk somewhere about God's power of healing, which is, again, I think that is very much the ability to reach into yourself. And like, that's where it starts is that power, <coughs> that divine power that everyone has. And right. I think that's, um, that's and important. But she's also questioning her own balance now that she's in Indonesia, in Bali, because she says, um, on a personal search for balance, I had hoped to learn much from the Balinese about holding steady in this chaotic world. But the more I read and see about this culture, the more I realize how far off grid, um, off the grid of balance I've fallen. Mm. So she's, even though it is, it is based on <clears throat> witchcraft, medicine, men, you know, a lot of the ancient beliefs of healing, because they are, whether it's indigenous culture or any, uh, many of the older cultures, right? Ancient mm -hmm. cultures, that's what they believed and that's what they still follow. <clears throat> she's realizing that she's still so far away from balance because she could fall off of it so quickly. She left India and the minute she was not in that place, it started to unravel again, right? Yeah, and and I, I think that's hard for, for many people. I know that I feel it myself sometimes, like when, when I'm not in my meditative mode, right? Or when I'm not doing my yoga practice or when I'm, you know, um, you, you fall away from those things that help keep you grounded and balanced. And, and it's, it, you start to question, oh no, am I on the bad path again? Or right. whatever and, it may be. You know, there's, I think of a pendulum, but there's also kind of like, you know, the path to enlightenment is a path that goes like this, right? Like it right. has big waves and then smaller and smaller and smaller waves. And sometimes it goes like this a little bit, right? Yeah, but I think of a pendulum basically yeah. because in the past few years, it was like, you know, I was really chaotic and then I was really ordered and mindful and, and in my Buddhism mode and then really chaotic and it's been swinging back and forth and the pendulum swinging is just getting finer and finer. So now it's like right. every day I'm like working to like live in the balance rather than be one than the other, the one than the other. So there is something to be said. It is tough. And she's just gone through eight months of like total exploration on two extremes. Right. right. Um, and so it makes sense that now she's here trying to be on their Balinese grid and not necessarily just kind of hitting the ground running, so to speak. Right. She, she learns this uh, first meditation technique from uh, K-Tut Liar, just sit oh and God. smile. I love it. I do, smile, I do it actually. <laughs> smile even in your liver, he says. <laughs> and so like, that's a, you know, that's a nice, um, 
a nice meditation technique. I've, I've not tried it this time, but when I first read the book, I did try it and just yeah. trying to just let like feel where you're happy and then try and just let it kind of seep from that point into the rest of your body and being, um, that's pretty cool. It's almost like when it happens that, well, for me, when it happens, I feel like almost like a weightless mm. when I can get to that point point. And that's why when he says, even in your liver, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's very good. You know, he says to her, because, you know, up until this point, she's been in India, it's yoga, yoga, she talks about the yoga practice she did um, when she was in, in the US before she even went on this journey. And, you know, I mean, there is something to be said about the way that Westerners have, um, have in, included yoga in their life. I've gone to different yoga studios. They never really worked for me. And I think it's because yoga in, in North America has become so westernized. It's almost become like an athletic form. And I remember one of the yoga studios I was at, um, she had us doing this exercise. So this was a yoga instructor who was getting her personal training certificate. <laughs> And she had us do this thing where we lied on blankets on the floor. And I mean, the most of them are my age or older. So a lot of us aren't like to the same fitness level. And she had us doing like those army maneuvers where you're pulling yourself on the floor by your elbows from one end of the room to the other. And to me, that's not yoga. Right. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to keep coming to a yoga class that's going to be making me do a workout that I would do if I went to a gym that I don't like those kind of classes. They've never resonated for me. That kind of workouts never been my way. Mm -hmm. So now I do yoga at home and I let it organically speak to me the way that I'm going to do it. Right. Um, so that's why when he says to her yoga, can you can do yoga, but yoga too hard. Right. And he contorts himself into a cramped Lotus position and squinches up his face in a constipated comical and constipated looking effort. And then he breaks free. And he asks, why do you always look so serious in yoga? And I think that that really speaks to where she's coming. She's coming from Western yoga to Indian yoga. And now she's got this, this man telling her, that's not what yoga should be. <laughs> right? Well, I think it maybe, I don't know what yoga should be. I don't know anything. I think yoga just should be what really speak to yourself, like what you need it to be for you. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But I think it's regardless, it's like a very much not about enjoyment. It's about dedication more so, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if she's trying to find enjoy, like her, her whole goal in India was dedication to God, let's call it, right? And so it's a serious endeavor, right? Monks look pretty serious in Buddhism and, and stuff, right? right? But it's not about, you know, how do I just add this to my life to benefit my life, which is a different sort of approach. Um, and so then in, then we get K Tut's story, his sort of life story, um, which is like, you know, relatively interesting. He was a good artist and then had some, you know, deep experiences, which he thought called him to God and he became a, a, a healer. Then we get to chapter 79, which to me, I noted it's, this is when it finally starts. Like she's starting to settle in Indonesia and she says, I am so free here in Bali, it's almost ridiculous. The only thing I have to do every day is visit Ketat Liar for a few hours in the afternoon. And so like, that's all she has to do, right? And I think that's why people like vacations so much. And it's about, okay, yeah, how do you find sort of that balance in life generally versus in this scenario? But she gets this new beautiful house in like the, the hills in, near Ubud. Um, and she just is so free. And her bike, her bike, so she can ex explore. Does she have her bike yet? Yeah, she got her bike sometime yeah. around here. Um, and um, the, I like that she says, I don't mind anything these days. I can't imagine or remember discontent. Yeah, and so, so I highlighted that as well. There's yeah. this tone of happiness, I, I, I said, in, in the way she's writing now. She, yep. There's no discontent. She just feels very calm and at peace. Right. Um, 
which is, I suppose, maybe she is very common. It's almost like I remember, if I'm remembering correctly, there are still some sort of deep reflections to be had before the end of the book. And so maybe this is sort of like the calm before the final wave um, of her working through stuff. Cause she's also about to reinsert herself into like, let's call it the, the what is it called? The, the people, the out of towners, I forget their name. The anyways. Um, you know, she's about to insert herself with the other people who are Western. Not the non-locals. Yeah, there's an expat, the expat. Yeah, the expats, yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, she's so calm right now and there's like nothing bothering her and it really comes across, which is why also maybe she felt, well, I still need to write some chapters. Right. So I'm going to give more history about this area and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's really nice. It's this really nice kind of calm tone. Um, and then, you know, she talks about the history a bit and how even Bali is bloody. And she talks about kind of the war history of, of this place. <clears throat> Which and surprised her actually, because she thought, you know, everybody has this image of Bali as being this beautiful, peaceful place, but it's, mm. fraught, it's fraught with history, right? It's fraught with war. It's fraught with, it's been created from the same as all the other places that we know in the world. Right. And then she talks about how, and yeah, she like, maybe Bali isn't what she thought. Maybe isn't right. this, this isn't the place of balance. She also talks about how there's no free libido here and how like, you know, their view of what balance is might not be her view of what balance is or the right view of what balance is. And she talks you know, on page 238 in my version, she talks about like, are they really balanced? And can you really know someone's internal balance and internal workings, whether that's a person or a culture? You can't really see from the outside if someone is balanced. It's there, again, we talked about the quote from Mario, it's their orientation to themselves, their orientation to everyone around them. Right. You cannot see uh, from the outside how balanced someone is or not. And she had this experience um, kind of, you know, very broadly. And I think that this is important because she's, she's starting to realize this, that, I mean, she's a, she's a, she's someone that likes learning. She's someone that likes writing. She's someone that likes watching others. Right. And that's how she learns as well. And so for her, she again has come with these expectations and she's starting to realize that it doesn't always fly the way that you think it's going to. And people aren't always going to be what you want them to be, right? And so I think that this, you know, without it getting so in depth, like it has in other chapters, this is just a little tweak of her remi reminding herself. And, you know? and this, sorry to cut you off. This really okay. reminds me of the way she was talking towards the end of Italy about like, you know, if the world is such and such a way, it's, you know, in Sicily, I think it was, it's corrupt and this, maybe all I can care about is making the best pasta in the world or the best ice cream in the world. Right. And so she's reflecting on, okay, why am I in Bali again? And she says, for now, all I can say for certain is that I love the house I've rented and that the people in Bali have been gracious to me without exception. Right. And she talks about this is my experience right now. That's right. what I know. That's what's important. That's where I can find balance. And it really kind of parallels that view before it's like a lot of people, especially nowadays, are so consistently concerned with the state of the world and everything that's going on in every corner of everything. It's like, well, you have to live your life. Right. And you have right. to you have to be concerned about what's going on in your day. And she's like, Right now, what I can say for certain is I love my house. Like, this is good. This is good. Um, and I really like that, how she brings it there. And what I'm here to do is work on my own equilibrium. And this feels for now like a nourishing climate to do that. And so she's, you know, she's simplifying it, right? We tend to overcomplicate everything. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I find that when we can simplify things, I came from a place where I used to like to overcomplicate things. And I've been lucky enough to have people in my life who be able to accept people into my life now who don't do that because I tended to want to surround myself with people who overcomplicated things. Mm. And then as I went on my own journey, I started to realize that 
it wasn't always the best to just be surrounded by people that overcomplicate things. And so when you can start to simplify, it doesn't mean become you doesn't mean that you become less of an intellectual or less of whatever it is, however you define yourself. It just, again, it's finding that balance, right? And so not everything has to be so complicated. And Elizabeth is an analyst. She analyzes everything in her mind. She is a deep thinker. And so for her to be able to step out and say, you know what? At the most basic, simple place, I am happy with where I am right now. Right. Nothing else matters. I'm happy here in this moment. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. And that's what she's been working towards for a very long time. And, and, you know, like I mentioned just a bit earlier, it seems to me, having read the book before that perhaps we are in a bit of this, okay, it's a bit of a calm before the next wave where she, you know, for me, it was very much, I had to figure out who I was, where I was at, and I felt some balance. And then I was like, oh, yeah, but now I need to enter the world again. And so right. she's going to start interacting with other people. She's going to start making friends and living more mm -hmm. of an, let's call it actual full life in, in Indonesia. In right. Bali. And then it's like, okay, let's see what that, what dirt that kicks up. Right. Once you're, right. again, she's been kind of quite isolated in India yeah. and even in Italy, she was somewhat, uh, not that isolated, but still. Um, well, and it's always hard when you start, you know, there, the challenges is, to start integrating what was into what is now. You know, you, you pick what you want from the what was and how you're going to bring it into your what now, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or, or where you are now. And so the hardest part is being able to balance those two. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, and it's, it's also kind of like where you want to be going, right? right. Like, like where you've come from, where you are, and where you want to be going and but not getting too obsessed with either of the other extremes and the balance comes from like walking where you are right speaking of um the stuff what you were saying before about not wanting to overcomplicate things there's an interesting uh, little conversation about god um for uh between ketut and liz and he says, you know, both um, do yoga and do the Balinese meditation. Good for you to keep practice both ways of meditation, both different, but both good in equal way. Same, same. I think about religion. Most of it is same, same. And she says, not everyone thinks so, Ketut. Some people like to argue about God. And he says, not necessary. I have a good idea. For if you meet some person from a different religion and he wants to make argument about God, my idea is you listen to everything this man has to say, never argue about God. Best thing to say is I agree with you, then go home and pray the way you want to pray. This is the best way for people to deal with religion. And whether or not you think that all religions do say the same thing, I think they, many of them aim at the same thing and they don't have the right or the same perspective. Regardless of if you think that, his second part is extremely important, right? That's the Absolutely. proper way like, oh, you care about this? Yeah, that's good. Okay, good for you. I agree. And then you go live your life, right? And or you might not necessarily agree, but I respect that that's your belief. But you, right? well, but I, you, you, you might can tell them you agree. What's it matter to, to you? I mean, this is at least his point, right? You right. don't have to concern yourself with their views is the main thing. What you specifically you tell them, the whole, the whole point is, no, it's their belief. Let them have it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't impact you. And right. like, you know, most of the world's bloodiest wars have been fought around that issue. Right. Um, and it's like, what do you and what do you consider good or God? And it's like, OK, you have your view and I'm just going to go have my view and just let's let's leave it at that. Um, and so I think that's a nice point uh, to highlight that, you know, I, it's obviously a very complex issue, but um, it's good um, that they that they mention it, that they yeah. talk about it. I also want to just uh, share that I love the way he keeps bringing up the smile. Mm -hmm. Because he said, you know, in this in this part that I highlight, he says, good, this smile will make you beautiful women. This will give you power to be very pretty. You can use this power, pretty power to get you what you want in life. Um, pretty power. So this is Elizabeth, pretty power. I repeat the phrase, loving it. 
like a meditating Barbie. I want pretty power, right? And the thing is that really and truly our face reflects who we are. We, as much as we want to believe that, you know, I'm not saying that looks matter because I don't believe that looks matter. But when you smile, you reflect your inner beauty. Your smile allows you to reflect your inner beauty. And the most beautiful people are the people who are beautiful from inside. And Elizabeth coming from Western society, coming from the United States, I mean, we're inundated with so much of what beauty is supposed to be. You know, and I know I had my own issues around what I believed beauty was and not fitting those norms of what beauty was supposed to be and how I had to learn to be able to embrace my own beauty, mm. right? And, and it's changing even as I get older because I look at myself and I see that I don't look the same as I did when I was 40. And so I'm trying not to focus on what I'm seeing here, right? You have to look what okay. I'm seeing here. <laughs> I'm not, but that's the thing. Beauty changes with age. And I, I'm telling myself that my beauty comes from now, what my age is showing, what my, the, what my, the story that my face is telling, right? Whether it's your, your laugh lines, mm. you know, but it's the smile, it's the eyes, it's the beauty that you see. And he keeps talking about that smile. He speaks to her about up until this point, he's spoken to her quite a bit, right? He spoke about it with the meditation. And so the fact that she's starting to now, because she spoke also about how she never looked thought of herself as a pretty person in past chapters, right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to start to see yourself again in that simplistic way that your beauty is there, it's just how you choose to show it, right? Right, yeah, and I think that makes sense. It's really nice, the kind of ease. She says earlier, like he feels like a grandfather, like they just have this kind of casual ease with one another very quickly which is really nice. And that brings me to like one of the things that I think was the nicest thing out of this, these 12 chapters is when she realizes we talked about, you know, expectations, she thought she was going to be teaching him English and he's not interested in that, but she realized that she's the, one of the simplest of pleasures. She's just his company. Right. And so they just, they just spend time together. Hang out. Yeah, and here's like an old man, everyone comes because they need his healing powers or like this kind of stuff. And he just, they're friends, right? And it's like so meaningful for this old man to have a nice friend. And, you know, when- And I don't think he's ever had one. He I think he speaks, if I remember correctly, he speaks about that. He speaks about the fact that everybody only comes to him because they need him. Mm -hmm. So he's never had anybody who just wants to be with him. Right, like, and like- Let's that's, just that's be. And that's so nice in relationships, right? Like, oh my God, just yes. have a friend or, a, you know, have a relationship where you can just be together and it's just simple and easy and there's nothing on the agenda and that kind of stuff. And so for her to realize that that's what she is for this man and, and like that she values it and he values it, it's just so nice. And it, it's very like heartwarming to me. And it is possible. I can speak from my own experience that it is for possible to find that person. Well, those people, I think it's possible to have many yeah. people um, Absolutely. You know, where you can just kind of be comfortable in each other's presence. Where it's easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not complicated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so then we're, we're nearing the end of these sections. Uh, you know, there's a few other things that come up. Um, so we meet K-Tut's wife um, and, you know, we have this exchange where uh, Liz feels like scared and maybe she's intruding and the wife is uh, skeptical of her, but then she photocopies the, the notebook for K-Tut and the wife is super grateful. She squeezes her hand and like brings her a boiled potato and a coffee. And so it's like she communicates in her own way, even though she's clearly a strong silent type, this, this woman. Um, and so we, so we learn about her a little bit, which is nice. And then we meet her other new friend, Yudi, uh, oh, Yuday, Yuday. Um, and how, and it's like kind of a really sad story uh, of Yuday and what happened when he was like, you know, he, he went to America to try to live the American dream and then 9-11 happened and he got deported. Uh, yeah. And 
I, it his, his, wife, his wife is still in the States, right? His wife so, is an American, yeah. yeah. And so now he's, he's only like, you know, 25, 27, something like that, separated from his wife. Yeah. And it's a really tough story. And I, I really look forward. They have a trip together later in the, um, later in the, in Indonesia, in this section. Um, it also highlights to me how Bali and Java seem quite uh, racist. She, she mentions how like he's totally not accepted because he's not um, from Bali um, and mm -hmm. he's not part of any of these clans. And we'll definitely, when we meet one of her other friends, we'll kind of see the real struggles and issues with this sort of family compound clan culture, clan, clan culture um, yeah. and what happens for, you know, there's a comfort to it, but with many of the kind of uh, institutions that uh, in Western culture we've been getting rid of, they provide a lot of comfort to the people who fit in them, but the people who don't are totally alienated. And so it's, it'll be an interesting exploration of that. It's um, a, if I may just uh, interject here that I have, um, you know, it, it's that way there, but I think that it's that way as a lot of people come to live in North America or in Canada from their countries. Um, they bring that same sort of clan uh, yeah. culture, I'll call it for lack of better word. And I was actually invited to a birthday party um, for a young girl that was part of one of these cultures. And it was really interesting for me to see how insulated it is. Mm. So as much as they choose to leave their country, they still bring that with them. And so you see it it works both ways, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and like I said, I, I think, you know, I, I'm an individualist. I think we need to treat each person based on who they are as an individual and who they choose to be. But, you know, historically and just from comfort wise, many people don't do that. They treat someone based on the culture they come from, the clan right. they're in, the compound they're in. And that's just, it's like just how it's been for a long time. Um, yeah, so, but it's, it's interesting and we'll definitely see that come about more um, in, in the coming chapters. Um, so the, the last major thing I wanna highlight here is in, in chapter 84, which is the last chapter of you know, this episode, um, he, uh, Keita talks about how man is a demon, man is a God, both are true. And she says, this was a very familiar idea to me the notion that human beings are born with the equivalent potential for both contraction and expansion. The, ingred the ingredients of both darkness and light are equally present in all of us. And then it's up to the individual to decide what will be brought forth, mm -hmm. the virtues or the malevolence. And like, that's very much profound and true to me, right? Like that everyone has the capacity for both. Right. But I like I don't think people are inherently good or inherently evil. Exactly. People have free will. People can choose to be either. Right. And I think that I really like that man. The, even man is a demon. Man is a god. Like those are the two options. And the de to the degree that individuals don't feel like gods, it's because they're letting the demon flourish more than they should. They're feeding it. Right. right. Um, there's this really, um, I forget exactly it, but there's something about like, you know, the, the wolf you feed is the one. The that it's, it's, it's a native, it's a native American uh, story. And it actually just popped up on my feed again today. Cause it pops up randomly. So it's the grandfather and he's talking to his grandson about the wolf and how there's two, the two that live inside of us and you can choose which one you're gonna feed. Right, and so very much like that's my experience, that's the experience I've had talking to other people mm -hmm. is that we have the, the equal capacity for good or evil to be a God or a demon, but like those are the choices. I really like how harsh, but for lack of a better term, God and demon is. Because either you're creating the universe around you, you're creating the world you want, like a god or you're destroying right you're 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 mm -hmm. cursing people you're causing real issues if you're not building right and right really you're either building or destroying right yeah, essentially and, 
um, you know, having three children and being very aware of, you know, I, when you have a baby and I think, can think back to my three children and as babies, all babies are born with an innocence. Yeah. With the ability to become, right? And I'm not going to say what, I'm just going to say the ability to become mm -hmm. and leave it at that. Because first they become based on what they learn growing up in their home. And then they become based on what they choose. Right. And so from the learning comes the choices, but we all have the ability and the power to build beyond what we've learned. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's just a really important thing to highlight. And again, it's sort of the first major thing in Indonesia that I think is, you know, a profound truth that I've been talking about. Like she's so introspective. She's so aware of herself and how her mind works. And so because she knows things are a choice because she like, again, it's included for a reason. It was said by him, but she includes how it's familiar and it resonates. And, and I think it's really good to highlight that each person has um, that capacity. Um, and then the last thing that happens in, in chapter 84 is she learns another um, meditation technique called the four brothers technique, which is, you know, I, you know, there's specific reason in the Balinese culture as to why there are the four brothers, but it's this idea that you have these protectors and that if you're just aware of these protectors, then um, there's a comfort that, comes over you and, and they're, they're your brothers, they're part of you, they're with you. And so there's this, again, this notion that you're always protected and whether or not people prefer to feel like they're protecting themselves or it's God that's protecting them or the four brothers, but there's this real calm. And so to reflect and talk about the four brothers, and I mean, I forget what they, the four are, but Liz really liked what the four uh, brothers are, what their four names are. You find them? Remember them? I, I had it highlighted, but for some reason it's not there now. Hold on. It was in chapter 84, right? The names of the, yeah, in there, I see the uh, Angopati, Maragiopati, Banaspati, and Banaspati Ragio. Which mm -hmm. are their four names in, I suppose, Balinese. Yeah, here they are. But what are they in English? I don't think they said what they were. Yeah, they do because she talks about poetry being, oh, here, intelligence, friendship, strength, and poetry. Oh, right. Intelligence, friendship, strength, and poetry. And if you have those four things with you, you will be protected. Intelli Say them again. Strength, intelligence. intelligence. Strength, strength, friendship, and, friendship poetry. and poetry. And so that's interesting. I, I And those are things you can give to yourself, right? You don't have right. to have somebody else give, even friendship, you give friendship to yourself. I want to just, mm. you know, say that because pen, people tend to think that those things have to come. Intelligence, yes, we know intelligence comes from in our, within ourselves, typically. Um, but the strength, we, we often tend to look to other people for our strength. We tend to often look to other people for our friendship. Um, and even for the poetry, it's something that's inherent, you know, we tend to look elsewhere for. And it's really important that we're able to find those within ourselves. Yeah. And for me, um, intelligence is sort of like, you know, let's call it right brain or left brain. And then poetry is more the left, the other one. And it's the more emotions. Definitely when I'm writing poetry, it comes out from, it comes from a different place. And then yeah. there's, there's uh, strength and friendship. So strength is like, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of like it. I'm not super bought into it, but I do like the idea. And I like that, um, you know, the, the whole idea that we are protected. And, and so she has this, I, there's like a monkey that comes in front of her bicycle and she's like, not today, mister, I'm protect, my four brothers are here. Um, right. So it's interesting. Um, and so that brings us to the end of, apologies listeners for the slight delay while we were finding the names of these brothers, but that brings us to the end of this uh, 
third of a section. Um, so definitely it was, it was um, not as enjoyable for me as, as much of the book so far. But from what, from what I remember, I do think Indonesia gets very interesting. So I'm excited still to see how the next 12 chapters go. But if the next 12 chapters are similar to these 12 chapters, maybe I won't be excited for the final 12 chapters. <laughs> but do you have any last thoughts on uh, this section? <clears throat> well, speaking with you about it made me realize that I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I did because there were some important, some interest, I won't say important, but I will say interesting things that came out of it. Mm. Um, and, it, uh, you know, to reiterate what you're saying, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 12 chapters. And I think like the, what you just said kind of re reflects how I feel about the book as a whole. Like there's so much value in this book. And so I do think relative to the other chapters, this was like uh, low, right? Like this was kind of lacking but it still had a few really insightful, really important points, but it was kind of buried in with a lot of extraneous information, I think. And so it did still kind of read like a bit of a travelogue, but like an insightful travelogue, whereas other sections were much denser and she's not really reflected yet in Indonesia, right? Right. Um, she's just kind of landed there now. And so, so the yeah. word that comes to my mind is anticlimactic. I kind well, we're not of, at the climax know, yet. I know, but I, I think it is, you know, I read a lot and I, I, I often have a problem when I read a book and I'm like, you know, or you know when you watch a play and yeah. you get to the end of the first act and you're like up here. Right. And you go on intermission and you come back and you be, expect to be taken back up there again. And it's like, oh. Right. Well, right? and that's why... Because uh, we have to remember, we talked about earlier, we called this a novel, but it's not really because a novel, a well-written novel is purposefully built in a certain structure right. so that it builds. This is just her life, right? So it's like, oh, her four months in Indonesia may have just been less interesting, right? But there's yeah. something to be said. You can always find reason in stuff. So there's something to be said. Well, it's just life, right? Yeah. Like life isn't as consistently exciting as going and traveling all around Italy or going to an ashram for four months. It's life. And we just have to get, yeah, my life today isn't as glorious as my four month trip to Asia, but it's life and it's enjoyable and it's not a consistent high. Right. So maybe, maybe she's trying to teach us something you could yeah, say. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Mom. Thanks David.